Carol and Reggie Sumners were enjoying retirement in Jacksonville, Florida. After their move from South Carolina, things seemed to be falling into place for the couple. Late one summer night in 2005, Carol Sumners would answer her front door and find herself face-to-face with a lethal visitor. Welcome to Sentenced. I'm Kara. And I'm Caitlin. Hello. Hello. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? Exhausted. I'm just like, I'm so drained. I went to Bakersfield and got my hair done yesterday because my hairstylist lives there. And thankfully I only have to get my hair done like every like six months or so. Mm -hmm. Um, But we did it that trip all in one day. So we drove like the three hours there. Had dinner with my family and drove like the three hours back. So, that's and then so I was long. up. I was up super early too. Like I don't know why I was up so early today. Yeah, that is a long trip. I don't know why I was up today early either. And yesterday I was exhausted. It was like, I think seven o'clock, and I was just sitting at home watching Dateline on TV, and I kept going in and out of sleep and so it was really confusing and jarring because I would like wake (laughs) up to one episode of Dateline and then I would go to sleep and then I would wake back up and it would be a completely different episode and I would just be like oh my gosh this this story is so complex (laughs) but (laughs) so eventually I just went to bed yeah we I don't know I've just been so tired and work has been like super draining lately it hailed here too like not even 30 minutes ago no way and now it's like sunny yeah we have a little bit of snow here it's been kind of snowing off and on today but nothing really super intense pretty light actually yeah it just came out of nowhere like I was sitting here and I was like dang those raindrops sound like really hard like why are they hitting the window so hard and then I looked and it was hailing and I was like oh that explains it interesting and then it hailed for like maybe like three minutes and it was done that's weird. I don't really like yeah. hail. Uh, I don't mind it because we were inside, but I've seen, like, the videos of hail that, like, damages people's cars. Yeah, that's gnarly. I'm like, please don't ever do that. Yeah, that is very scary. So that's kind of why I look like a ghost right now. It's really <laughs> bright outside, so I'm, like, I'm super washed out. I wonder if I can just... That's probably better. There we go. Well, what else is new in your life? Anything? Not really. I'm helping out at my stepmom's best friend's flower shop next weekend for Valentine's Day. So that'll be fun. Very nice. That's where I met my husband, so. Oh, yeah. (laughs) See, that's a meet cute right there. 16 years. I was like 12. That's so crazy. He was like 19. Like, Obviously, we didn't start dating until much later, but (laughs) that was, like, the first time I met him, and I was like, dang, that boy is cute, and then, like, ten years later, we started dating. I love that. Now, we're going to get into the story. Today, we are going to be talking about Reggie and Carol Sumner. The last name sounds familiar, but I don't know if I know this case. Okay. Well, let's get started and find out. Carol Branson was living in 
Charleston, South Carolina in 1987 with her 10-year-old daughter, Rhonda. Carol was living in fear of her ex-husband, who was an abusive alcoholic. On February 18, 1987, Carol's nightmare was brought to life when her ex-husband shot her six times in front of their daughter, Rhonda, before taking his own life. Carol's femoral artery was damaged, and she lost sight in one eye, but ultimately she would survive. Shut up. Yes. Wow. So the children were home, he shot her, and then shot himself, but she lived? Yes. Were the kids injured at all? No, they were not. So she did have a daughter and a son. I'm not sure what the age of her son was at this time. I could not find much on him, but her daughter Rhonda was 10 when this happened. Wow. Right. And so Rhonda would ultimately start taking care of Carol. So bathing her, she would walk to the grocery store and she would pretty much do everything around the house until Carol was ultimately recovered um, and able to take those things back. And ultimately she would go back to work. Um, However, several years later, she received the devastating news that the blood transfusion that saved her life also caused her hepatitis C. Oh my, when did this happen? You said the 70s? So this was in 1987 when she was shot. So it was in the 80s, the late 80s. Mm -hmm, In South Carolina. That's so scary. Yeah. In the year 2000, Carol was working for a cable company when she got a call from a customer named Reggie Sumner. And Carol kind of stopped and she's like, is this the same Reggie Sumner that went to Garrett High School? And Reggie said yes. James, Reggie Sumner, and Carol were high school sweethearts. They had gone their separate ways, Carol getting married and becoming a mother, and Reggie joining the Navy and then later working on the railroad. So it had been 40 years since they had even seen each other, and this, I guess, fate just brought them back together, which is pretty cool. Once they got to talking again, all the feelings that they had for each other as teenagers came back instantaneously. Rhonda, Carol's daughter, would describe Reggie as a very gentle, kind, and giving spirit, and you could not ask for a better friend, husband, or stepfather. The couple was inseparable, constantly holding hands, whispering secrets, and clearly just very much in love. They were married within six months of reuniting. Oh, wow. Yeah. And they were in their, like, late 50s at the time. Um, So it's, you know, when you know, you know. Yeah. So the couple decided to sell their house in Ladson. And so Ladson, I know I said Charleston earlier. The story, the location is kind of back and forth between Ladson and Charleston. I can't pinpoint exactly where they live, but regardless, they were living in South Carolina So they decided to sell their house because Reggie owned property in Florida and he purchased that when he was on the railroad. So they decided to kind of make the move and start their retirement, basically. They thought that it would be kind of an easier lifestyle for them. Unfortunately, Carol's hepatitis C had developed into liver cancer and she was suffering from fibromyalgia. So it sounds like she was kind of dealt a lot, but they were getting through it together Aside from Carol's health problems, Reggie struggled with chronic diabetes. So they just have a they just have a lot going on. They have a lot going on, but they're happy, they're together, they're in love, and they're just making their way through it together. But before finalizing their move, 
they would have to sell one of their cars, which was a green Chevy Lumina, and they ended up selling it to one of their neighbor's daughters, and her name is Tiffany Cole. So a little bit about Tiffany. She was born on December 3rd, 1981, and she dropped out of high school. Her mother had her at the age of 16, and when she was born, her father was in jail. When she was living in South Carolina, it's unclear whether she was living with her dad who had been released from jail or she was living with her mom and her stepfather. I know that she did have a stepfather at one point, so either way, this um, this guy that was supposed to be a quote-unquote father figure did some pretty horrific things to her and she was definitely abused. Um, there's pretty horrifically there was one instance where this man took a puppy out of her hands and threw it against the wall and broke the dog's neck right in front of her um so straight to jail for him yeah absolutely absolutely horrible i mean we're both animal lovers i think most people like animals most people like dogs i can't even imagine doing something like that like i even when my dogs are hanging out at my feet, I get so panicky because I'm like, I don't want to step on you. Like, yeah. I don't want to step on your little paws. Well, it's like, they're just so innocent. Like, that's the thing. Especially a puppy. It's like, they haven't done anything to you. So why are you so freaking angry? I know. Everything about puppies is just so pure. Like, the way that they smell. Their little puppy smell and their little tiny <laughs> paws. Puppy breath. Their puppy breath. I know. Except for the little double dagger teeth once those start coming in. But I mean... Those are so bad. <laughs> they're so sharp. They are. But anyways, regardless, it sounds like he was a pretty horrible man. And I can imagine that not being a great living situation for her. And that also probably just solidified that people can do bad things and not get in trouble for it. So not setting a great example... As a result, at a young age, Tiffany started using Xanax, Valium, cocaine, and abusing alcohol as a maladaptive coping mechanism. Because Tiffany could not afford to buy the car outright from the Sumners, they agreed to a payment plan or a payment arrangement. So they were moving to Florida. She would go to Florida. She would make monthly installments, and they even offered her the guest room while she was there. It seemed like they were pretty generous letting her stay there. Yeah, they were absolutely generous and generous not only in letting her stay in the guest room, but also making payment arrangements. Like, there's no way I would do that unless I knew, like, unless it was, like, a very close family member. Right. In the summer of 2005, Tiffany was partying pretty hard. During a stint in Myrtle Beach, she meets a man named Michael Jackson. <laughs> the Michael Jackson? Not the Michael Jackson, a Michael Jackson. Damn it. I know. It's like the whole time I was writing these notes, I was like, I don't even know what to call him because this is just weird. I mean, we can call him Mike, but I mean, Jackson. Michael Jackson. I, I wrote Michael. It's fine. Like, for some of it, I wrote Michael, and then. Like, for some of it, I wrote Michael Jackson, but I don't know. <laughs> That's okay. It was... We know who it is. Yeah. The real Michael Jackson never comes up in the story, right? He does not make an appearance in this story. Okay, no. go. No, 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 well, no, then no. we don't have to get the two of them confused. No. MJ1 and MJ2. <laughs> uh, the king of pop. <laughs> so, Tiffany meets this guy, Michael, and they're partying together. He goes back to the room with her, and he ends up stealing all of her drugs and money. 
Despite this, Tiffany decides that these are the qualities that she's looking for in a partner, and she pursues a relationship with Michael. Seems like a winner. Yeah, so... Stole all my shit, and you know what? That's it. That's what did it for me. (laughs) Yeah, like, that is not a meet-cute. Speaking of meet-cutes. So, yeah, they, I guess, they have stuff in common. Like, they like doing drugs, they like partying. And so they continue with this toxic lifestyle until they start to run out of drugs and money. Coincidentally, Tiffany needed to complete the paperwork for her car, so they make their way from South Carolina to Florida. While they're there, Michael introduces Tiffany to his friend, Alan Wade. Alan, 18 years old at this time, was living with his mother in Jacksonville. So the three of them, again, they're partying, they're hanging out with Alan at his mom's house, and she just becomes fed up with it, and she kicks Michael and Tiffany out. So that's when Tiffany decides that she's going to go pay a visit to the Sumners. She's going to, I guess, work on their arrangement, whatever it is, and basically use their guest room as a place for her to stay while they're partying. I don't like her already. I I feel like I shouldn't. Yeah. Uh, The Sumners, of course, welcome them in with open arms, and they're delighted to have the company. Life in Florida seemed to be going well for the Sumners. Carol ends up telling Tiffany just, you know, they're chatting, catching up. She tells her how they profited off of the sale of their South Carolina home, and they profited close to $100,000. Hearing of this financial success, Tiffany and Michael are instantly drawn in. They continue to visit with the couple, all the while planning to come back in the weeks to come. The plan is now set into motion. Tiffany would keep in touch with the Sumners and monitor them, assessing when the best time to carry out this evil plan would be. So she calls them, sees what they're doing, tries to figure out what their schedule is. Tiffany and Michael decide to bring Alan Wade into their scheme. As far as Alan is concerned, they were going to abduct the Sumners, terrorize them into giving them access to their financial accounts. So Alan recruits his cousin, Bruce Nixon, who's also 19. Oh my gosh, so there's four people involved? So there's four people involved. Tiffany and Michael are like 23, 24, and Alan Wade and his cousin, Bruce Nixon, are both 19. They're babies. Yeah, very, very young. Tiffany had preemptively rented out a silver Nissan so that her vehicle, her truck, or whatever, the Chevy, wouldn't be recognized in the area. And Bruce stole four shovels from his neighbor's house. So the four of them decide on a remote area near the Florida-Georgia border. And Michael, Alan, and Bruce dig a hole four feet by six feet while Tiffany holds a flashlight. So they're fully intending on killing the Sumners. Well, their plan, evidently, allegedly, whatever you want to say, was to kidnap the couple, drive them to the spot, show them the hole... And then basically scare them into giving them whatever they wanted. That seems like a lot of effort to just scare somebody, but okay. Mm -hmm. On July 28th, 2005, Tiffany Cole drove to the Sumner's home in her rented silver Nissan. Tiffany and Michael waited in the car to avoid being recognized while Bruce and Alan knocked on the front door. Carol answered in her pajamas and welcomed the two strangers into their home. They said that they broke their car broke down and they wanted to use their phone. Because Carol was so trusting, she just let them in without any hesitation. Bruce and Alan overpowered the couple immediately. They ripped the phone off the wall and threatened them with a toy gun. 
And also, I think it's important to note at this time, Reggie had either sprained or broken his ankle. So he was in a cast. So he was pretty immobile. And they're like older, right? You said so they're probably like in their early 60s at this point. Yeah, they were both 61. And that's, I mean, that's not really that old at all. But no. they were, they had debilitating health issues and so I think that that's what really I mean they there's really not much they could do in the way of fighting for themselves the story has it all we got puppies and now we have old older people like I know I know it's I know it's just not gonna get better (laughs) I know it's horrible it's something about hurting like babies and older people it's like the two ends that are it just makes it so much more terrible not that hurting people like in between those ages isn't bad, but it's just, there's something about it's, it that's... It's the helplessness of the ages. Like, babies, they can't defend themselves. Older people or people that are, you know, immobile mm-hmm. or, you know, that cannot physically defend themselves. It's like, you really targeted that person and not somebody your own size, your own age. Like Right. Th- this is who you're targeting. Right. And that's why they do it, too. It's really fucked up. So Bruce and Alan bind their feet uh, with their feet and hands with duct tape, and they also put duct tape over their eyes and mouth. Um, That's when Michael enters the home. He kind of starts going through their belongings and bagging anything up that he can find. He instructs Alan and Bruce to put the Sumners in the trunk of their own vehicle, their own Ford Lincoln. And so they do, and then... They start driving to the designated spot while Tiffany and Michael are in their rented car behind them. And they had this plan that if they saw any cop or any cop got in between them, Tiffany and Michael would just start speeding and hope, like, hopefully they would get pulled over for speeding so that they wouldn't pull the other car over that had Carol and Reggie in the trunk. I mean, like, I get the idea, but it's also like, why would they get pulled over to begin with? Yeah, I don't know, because they're stupid. Yeah, clearly. Yeah. They drive for about 40 minutes, and in the dead of summer, it was probably about 100 degrees in the trunk of that car. So, very uncomfortable. When they arrived at the spot, they opened the trunk of the Lincoln, and because of the blistering heat, the Sumners had been sweating, and they were able to slip their hands out of the duct tape. They were just laying there holding hands tightly with one another and praying. Mm. I know. Michael instructs... Alan and Bruce to apply more duct tape, this time ensuring that he cannot see the victim's eyes. Michael, Alan, and Bruce led the couple to the hole while Tiffany remained by the vehicle. Michael demanded that the Sumners give them the pins to their bank account, which they do, and then he instructs Bruce to keep an eye on Tiffany in the vehicles. So Bruce goes and waits with Tiffany. Michael and Alan then push Reggie and Carol Sumners into the pre-dug grave and piled dirt on top of their kneeling bodies while the couple is still breathing and begging for their lives. I thought the plan was to show them the hole. Yeah. And now they're they're blinded by the duct tape and now in the hole. Yeah. So pretty horrific. Um, and it was also said that later, the reason why Michael wanted them to cover their eyes is because he didn't want to look into the eyes while he killed them. So, at this point, did they even have their bank information? They had their bank information. Reggie and Carol basically gave it right to them. And then after they gave them their pins or their passwords or whatever it was, Michael and 
Alan basically just pushed them in the hole. And they were kneeling in the hole. I hate people. I do too. You got what you wanted. Like, mm -hmm. they clearly couldn't see you. And they're in their own vehicle. So it's like, it's not like they can even identify the vehicle you were driving. Right. They cover up the hole. And immediately the first thing they do is go to an ATM and take some cash out. They then ditch the Sumner's car about an hour away. They wipe it down for fingerprints. And then they go back to the ATM and take another $1,000 out of the bank account. Michael gives Bruce a few hundred dollars and sends him home while the remaining individuals go back to the Sumner's home to steal their valuables. So he basically gives him some money and he's like, you know, don't say a word, keep your mouth shut. And then they go back to the house and they steal jewelry, the computer, and their prescription drugs. Nice. Yeah. The next day at a party, Bruce Nixon gets inebriated and he begins bragging about the events of the night before. He's showing everyone the prescription drugs that obviously are not his, nor do they have his name on them. He starts flashing $20 bills, which is like, like probably the smallest bill you can take out of an ATM, by the way. Mm. And he says he plans on buying a new car and he has a new job where he murders people. And I just want to say, like... The Sumners had profited about $100,000 from their house. If they all took that and split it evenly, which let's be honest, that's never the case, they wouldn't have even had like $25,000 each. Yeah. So in the, in the United States at this time in 2005, the average salary was like $55,000. So you getting $25,000, that's less than half of the average salary that individuals were making. Yeah, that's like a minimum wage part-time job. Yeah. Like, that's not that's not that much money. I'm sorry. It's like, yes, it is. Like, In the moment. Yeah, it's not that much money. He could have bought, like, maybe a Chevy Impala or a Toyota Corolla. Yeah, like, you could buy a car or you could party for, like, a few months. But, like, it's not, it's not enough to justify... Nothing is enough no, to justify there's no somebody's amount. life, but... There's no amount, but it's not even, I don't... But he didn't even get that much. No, because right? they, well, they, he, so at this point, he only has a couple hundred dollars, but their plan is to slowly drain the bank account, which is a stupid-ass plan to begin with, because obviously, like, you're going to get caught really quick. I, I mean, none of this was a good idea from the get-go. So they would continue to visit ATMs several times a day, withdrawing 200 to $300 at a time, draining their bank account, which again... At an ATM, it's probably going to have a limit to how much you can take. So you're just drawing more attention to yourself going to different ATMs. And also ATMs have cameras on them. So, Well, yeah. And then there's certain ATMs that have a fee if you're not going to, like, the bank ATM. Yeah, and they did do that, too. Like, you could see on the records, you could see that they had to pay the ATM fee, which was just... Like, my first debit card, I think... The most I could take out at the ATM at a time was $300. Mm -hmm. And even now, I think it may be 500 Yeah. I don't know. Mine, it kind of scares me how much they'll allow you to take out now. But I think you can probably customize that with your bank. I think so. And then you can also, like, set it to, like, if you hit, like, a certain amount withdrawn. Like, even in purchases, they call you and they're like, hey, was this you? Like, can you verify? Mm -hmm. So Carol's daughter Rhonda becomes very worried as she talks to her mom on a like on a daily basis. She calls the police and has them do a welfare check. 
Police find the back door open, but no sign of foul play. So Rhonda, still concerned, just drives to Florida herself. As soon as she enters the home, she knows that something's wrong. There's food left out on the stove, the computer's missing. She finds a pair of rub rubber gloves thrown on the ground, and the dog hadn't been taken care of. Also, Reggie's cane and wheelchair had been left behind with their prescription drugs. So the drugs, like the prescription drugs that the group did not steal, the ones that they were not interested in. So she immediately files a missing persons report. Meanwhile, the Sumner's car was found in Baker County, Florida by an off-duty police officer. He had recognized the description of the vehicle and inside the car he found duct tape and shovels. He also found that the battery was missing, which I don't know what their intentions were with that. What is, can you even sell a battery? What, for like 50 bucks? Uh, maybe it, it, it so, just kind of, like, I hate to say this, but it's like, it's like tweaker behavior where it's just like, ah, uh, just take what isn't nailed down. And they probably were like, there's probably value in the, the battery. So that's probably why they took it. Okay. Well, this isn't the last of us where batteries are important. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Have you been watching that show? What show? The last of us. Oh, no, but, um, they were talking about it at work the other day, and everyone says that I need to watch it. It's with, it's with Nick Offerman, right? I think so. I don't know. Is it on HBO? Yes. Okay, yeah, then that's it. Yeah, that's the one everyone tells me I need to watch. Yeah, Robert's been watching it, and I just watched it in passing. Well, I watched the first episode with him, and, like, a big major plot was, like, them trying to get, like, a car battery to start a car. Oh. But I'm like, they're common right now, so obviously it's not that big, but anyway. <laughs> right, well, these people are just stupid tweakers. Well, so. clearly, yeah. By July 12th, detectives are aware that the bank account is being drained, but they need to leave the cards on. They're looking into the footage, and so they see a white male on the ATM camera with a silver card in the background. They're trying to identify this male, so they continue to just keep tracking the ATM activity, which is now in South Carolina. It started in Florida and it goes back to South Carolina, which is weird because that's where the Sumners used to live. And this is when Michael Jackson makes investigators job extremely easy. He calls the sheriff's department pretending to be Reggie because the bank had shut his ATM card off. <laughs> so he calls the sheriff's department. For what? To get it turned back on. You don't... I don't think you call the sheriff's department for that, sir. No, you absolutely don't. He calls and he claims that him and his wife, Carol, are in Delaware for a funeral. They're fine, but they need their ATM card reactivated. And you can hear this phone call. You can find the footage online or the audio online. And he is not disguising his voice at all. So posing as Reggie, he claims that they're aware that their house has been broken into and their car had been stolen, but their main concern is getting their ATM card turned back on. Of course. Yeah. Investigators ask what airport they flew out of and what town they're staying while they're visiting in Delaware because they know that this is now the perpetrator. Right. Well, I mean, you're you're telling me the 22-year-old man doesn't sound like a 61-year-old man? No, he doesn't. Like, he doesn't <laughs> even try. <laughs> the airport that Michael gave the detectives was a cargo airport and did not support commercial passengers or planes. Wow. Furthermore, the town that he gave detectives called Corpus, yeah, that town doesn't exist. So he just made up a town, like called Corpus. 
I, I keep saying wow, but it's just like, I'm just so amazed with how stupid these people are. I'm like, I'm glad they're stupid, but it still amazes me. Yeah. And corpus, I'm like, that's really bad. Did you, were you just thinking like corpse? Um, or like Corpus Christi, isn't that a place? It is. Corpus Christi is a city in Texas, but not corpus, just corpus by itself. Okay, but this is 2005. Like, couldn't you just Google a town in Delaware or couldn't you just like, I don't know. If you don't know any towns in Delaware, then I don't know. They just seem stupid. So detectives ask to talk to his wife, Carol. Michael puts Tiffany on the phone, who pretends to be Carol, while detectives trace the call to Charleston. And this part is this part was really crappy because again the audio was available to listen to and they're asking her questions and she's pretending like she has liver cancer and she's telling them she's tired and I'm like that's just really fucked up yeah you not only did you take this person's life and you're pretending to be them but you're now pretending to have cancer when you don't have cancer by looking in the phone records that Michael called the sheriff's office from they are able to look up other numbers that they called and they found a rental car company that Michael had called from that phone. Detectives discovered that the silver rental car they spotted in the ATM surveillance had been rented by Tiffany Cole, and it was extremely late. Like, it was way past the window when she was supposed to return it. So she still has the car? She still has the car. Oh, so she's real smart. Okay. Also, speaking of smart, rental cars have built-in GPS. Yeah. That tracks... And they. And she put it in her name, and they have a copy of her ID, I'm sure. Yeah, her driver's license. Yeah, they're going to have all that shit. You should have just stolen the car. So the GPS tracked basically every move that they made in that rental car, digitally placing them at the Sumner's house, at the ATMs, and ultimately at the hotel where they would be arrested. On July 14th, 2005, Tiffany Cole, Michael Jackson, and Alan Wade are arrested in their hotel room where detectives find driver's license, checkbooks, and a coin collection belonging to the Sumners. Like I said before, I'm glad they're stupid. Yeah. I don't think this took long at all. No. During their interrogation, Tiffany and Alan tell detectives that there's a third person that they need, or a fourth person that they need to be looking into, and... His name is Bruce Nixon. They track him down and they arrest him and Bruce immediately folds. He basically tells detectives everything. I mean, he's 19. He claims that he thought it was just a robbery all along and Michael masterminded the entire operation. He claims that they dug a hole, which is where he thought that they were going to bury treasure they stole from the Sumners. So he was thinking like, we're going to go into the house. We're going to take all the stuff. We're going to bury it until the investigation cools down. And then we're going to go back and get it. Sir, this isn't the Goonies. We are not out here burying no. treasure. No. Yeah. Like, are you a pirate? <laughs> he told the detectives after they dug the hole, Tiffany and Alan went to the store and bought rubber gloves, duct tape, and industrial-sized saran wrap, which was all caught on video surveillance. Saran wrap? Yeah, industrial-sized saran wrap. So it's like, okay, what were you going to do with that? Yeah. I don't think they ended up using it, but still... All of those things are bad and implicate you. He confesses to entering the home and using fake guns on the Sumners after asking to use the phone. So basically, he tells them everything. He led officers to the isolated area where Reggie and Carol Sumners were buried alive. The next day, a team would arrive to the site to recover the bodies. The pair was sitting with Reggie in front of Carol. He had broken free from his duct tape and he was holding her hands. Mm. I know. 
Chief Medical Examiner Dr. Valerie Rowe says that this is the worst thing she had ever seen or heard of. The couple had died from mechanical asphyxia combined with smothering. They had inhaled mud and dirt into their airways and esophagus. Michael Jackson was still in jail at this time and he receives a phone call from his grandmother. He had no idea that Bruce had folded and confessed and so this is the first time he's hearing it. His grandma calls him and tells him they found the bodies, Bruce told them everything, and he his response to that is Bruce just killed us all. Like that call was recorded obviously he was in jail. Not I'm sorry, not it wasn't true. But that he's killed us all. Like, it, it it harkens back to most cases, but, like, the one I did about Seth Jackson, where they're not concerned about killing somebody, they're just concerned about themselves. Exactly. And he, it sounds like his grandma, too, was probably an enabler, because when she called, she says, Michael, it's grandma, don't say a word. And then she tells him, and then he's like, Bruce just killed us all. Listen. Robert and I have had this conversation. If he came home and told me he killed somebody, I'm going to say something. Yeah. I'll be like, oh, no, babe, I got you. I'll keep your secret. You bet your ass I'm going to leave and call the cops immediately. I'm not getting implicated. I'm not going to be like, oh, I'm okay with you murdering somebody. No. Like, absolutely not. It's, it's all bad. Bruce Nixon accepts a plea deal for taking detectives to the gravesite and telling them the entire story. He was also a star witness for the prosecutor testifying against the other three cohorts. He was sentenced to 45 years in prison. Michael Jackson admitted to planning the robbery, but blames Alan and Bruce for the actual murders. He was found guilty of two counts of murder in the first degree, two counts armed kidnapping, and two counts armed robbery. He was sentenced to death on August 29, 2007. Tiffany Cole went to trial in October of 2007. Psychiatrists noted in her trial that she suffered from several significant mental health issues, including chronic depression, personality disorders based on masochistic behavior, and drug and alcohol dependency. In her testimony, she admitted to her role in the robbery, but maintained she was unaware of the murder plot, as she believed, again, that they were going to bury stolen treasure from the Sumners in the hole and return for it later. In March of 2008, she was found guilty of two counts of murder in the first degree, two counts of armed kidnapping, and two counts of armed robbery. A jury recommended a death sentence by a 9-3 vote, and uh, and Judge Michael Weatherby concurred, meaning she received a death penalty. Good. In 2010, she appealed her conviction. The court accepted her appeal on the grounds that she claims she didn't know the couple was in the back of the trunk. So that was her appeals, that she didn't know they were in the back of the trunk, which is bullshit because she was planning on speeding to divert attention away from said trunk. Not to mention she's literally the reason that everybody knows this couple. Exactly. Like, no, sis. That's not how that works. No. According to the Florida Tubes Union, Cole's lawyer argued that her life should be spared because she didn't know the other defendants, including the mastermind and Cole's boyfriend, Michael J. Jackson, planned to kill the victims by burying them alive. She lost her appeal, and the justice the justices unanimously affirmed Tiffany Cole's murder conviction and death sentence. And that was as of March 2011, so remember that, because we're going to circle back to that. Okay. Alan Wade went to trial March 4th, 2008. 
I believe that he refused to testify and he was found guilty of two counts murder in the first degree, two counts armed kidnapping, and two counts armed robbery. The jurors ruled 11 to 1 that he received the death penalty. Okay, so this is where it gets kind of convoluted. Um, in 2016, Hearst versus Florida decided that all ununanimous death row penalty verdicts were ruled unconstitutional. Well, and there were over a hundred cases that they would have to go revisit and decide if these people that received the death penalty were fairly like judged or fairly sentenced. So it would be Tiffany and Alan? Tiffany, Michael, and Alan. Okay, got it. So that's where it gets confusing. So, and I'll get there, but Alan Wade's resentencing trial began in June of 2022. Prosecutor Alan Mizera told the jury, death is the appropriate sentence. Time has not told anything to do with the evil of these acts. The shovels still have the dirt. Time does not heal all wounds. Despite his arguments on June 16th, 2022, after three and a half hours of deliberation, the jury found the murders of Reggie and Carol Sumner cold, calculated, and premeditated, but not heinous, atrocious, and cruel. He was then sentenced to life in prison. So he got his death penalty revoked and is now spending life in prison. He met a French woman who he married and he now has a child with. What? Yes. Yeah. So How? this. Okay. So this. That's the crazy thing is because I don't think people on death row are supposed to have like visitation. Not visitation. Um, Con- conjugal visits. Conjugal visits. And so somehow he has a child. I don't know how that happened, but this French woman, yeah, met him, and at first they were pen pals, and she just wanted him to have a companion, and then she moved from maybe she just wanted a green card. I don't know. But she moved from France to the United States, and now they have a kid, and she basically just tells people that he deserves a second chance, and that um, what he did doesn't define him, and he was young, which he was, but I was 19 once, and I didn't do shit like this. Listen, I moved out at 19, so it's like, I was a full-ass adult at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition to that, Rhonda, who is Carol's daughter... She kind of originally thought that Alan Wade, she that he should not be getting the death penalty. So she actually ended up advocating for him and like talking to the judge and trying to get the death penalty taken off of it. And she, she did not go to like the court when these trials were happening. So I don't know if that makes a difference or not. And I really don't know if you can say whether or not someone should have the death penalty unless you're there, like unless this happened to you. Because I go back and forth with the death penalty. And I I don't really think it's fair to say until you're kind of faced with that. Not that I think anyone should have to go through that. Does that make sense? Yeah, and it's almost like, I, I kind of feel like with, with Rhonda, it may be more of a conscience thing. Like, she doesn't want to have a guilty conscience for him being sentenced to death. Right. Um, And, like, I'm the same way, like... I more so lean against life imprisonment rather than the death penalty... Because I feel like you should rot forever for the rest of the life that you have for taking the life of somebody else. But the way our prison system is, and I think I mentioned this in like our first or second episode, it's that like these prisoners a lot of times are getting better health care than we are. 
and they get their meals every day. And it's like, I just, I don't know. I just feel like they shouldn't be given as much of an opportunity as they are if they're on, if they're serving life. And especially in the United States, like we don't rehabilitate people. Right. And so this is where I, I agree, but I disagree at the same time because it's like, I, it's hard to look at someone and say, you deserve to die. It's different. Like with uh, Vicky Lynn, yes, that guy deserved to die. And that was, he was horrific, like horrible, horrible. And even her family said the same thing because when people ask that family, why are you seeking the death penalty and not life in prison? She kind of says, well, one, life in prison is only 25 years in Arizona. And two, you can't really say until you're here. Right. Like, you can't really know what someone's going through until you're there yourself. And so, also, what's really messed up with our justice system is that people can, like, life in prison does not always mean life in prison with the amount of appeals that these people get and the amount of cases that we see where these people were sentenced to life, these people were sentenced to death, these people had two life sentences, and then these people end up getting out. So I can understand why people would seek the death penalty because how else do you know? Like, you're going to live your whole entire life waiting for the other shoe to drop, waiting for this person to have an appeal and to finally win their appeal and then get out. See, but my thing is, is, like, you have people sitting on death row for 45-plus years that never get executed, so we're, as taxpayers, just paying for them mm-hmm. to sit in a cell. And, like, some of the cells that they have, they're, like, 10 by 10 rooms. They have TVs. They have, like, their private bathrooms. They have amenities that, like, other prisoners wouldn't have. And it's just, like, for what? You should be sitting in a freaking shoebox rotting away for the rest of your life. Yeah, I agree. But... I feel like we need more, like, detention centers for people that, like, made a mistake that could be rehabilitated. Because I don't think it's fair to put people that are in for a petty crime who may have been under the influence or something like that with somebody that's a hardened criminal. Right. Because that just hardens the other person, too. So then if they ever do get out, they're less likely to become an upstanding citizen. Yeah. They never learn. The whole system is messed up, and it's... I don't know. I don't know how... I know it'll never be perfect, but I think it could be better. A hundred percent. For Tiffany and Michael, their resentencing trial is still under review. However, for the charge of felony and kidnapping, they are both serving life sentences. So you can look up in the Florida records, like what you, it'll show you a picture. It'll show you what they were sentenced for. Each crime was sentenced separately. So even if they do get off death row and they have to be recharged for the murder, they're still in life for the armed kidnapping. So they would probably be serving two life sentences each if they did get off. Good. Yeah. I think that's all I have for that story. Um, Really tragic. I don't know. Being buried alive is pretty disgusting. Well, because you said the hole was, what, four by six? Uh-huh. And it was, like, six feet deep? Mm-hmm. I couldn't crawl out of a six-foot-deep hole. No, and they, again, they had health issues, so they were not, there was no way they they would be able to get out of there. Not, and, like, especially as, like, people are throwing dirt on top of you, like, it's just, it's a tough situation. It's just so much sadder that, like, they were holding hands, because it reminds me of the couple on Titanic that's, like, laying in the bed together. I know. Just, like, accepting their fate. Yeah. 
I tried to find more information on the resentencing trials, but anytime I searched for Michael Jackson trial, understandably, there is a lot <laughs> of other stuff that came up, and so it was just, like, very... Another... Yeah. Yeah, a whole nother rabbit hole I could have gone down. <laughs> but. Which is a hot-button topic, because the real Michael Jackson, I... I loved him so much, and I, I was really devastated when he died. Me too. And I feel like he had a bad rap for a long time, but, you know. I do, but it's so hard to decipher what's reality, and, you know, because we don't want to believe that he did those things, but he very easily could have. I mean, he had a lot, like, he had the means to cover it up, and he had the access, unfortunately, to a lot of people, so, I don't yeah. know, I... I waver on that one. So that's all I have for today's case. I'm sorry that it was such a bummer, but... It's just... It's more sad, too, because Carol survived literally being shot six times and then for just four dumbasses to come in and be like, oh, we're going to take your life. Yeah. And they, they didn't need to. No. They didn't need to. Tiffany stayed out of it. Like, they didn't recognize anybody, you know, and... It's well, just... and that's, like, she she tried to say, oh, I wasn't there when they dug the hole. I was holding the flashlight, so I'm not part of it. Or I was standing by the cars. She brought the everyone to these people. And she didn't stop it. Yeah, did you stop them from doing what they were doing? From loading this couple in the car? From throwing them into a hole? Because you know that they didn't gently lower them into the hole. No. It sounds like they pushed them or kicked them in. Yeah, which probably caused injuries once they fell in. And if he had a boot on his foot or a mm-hmm. cast, like... Ugh. And they were probably in so much pain. And especially, even if they tried to, like, stop breathing, your body's automatically going to breathe. And then you're just going to inhale whatever is surrounding you. Right. I think the only thing about this story that is somewhat comforting is that they were together. And I don't even want to use the word comforting because it's still awful. But at the very, at least they were together when it happened so that they didn't have to be separated and they can live out their final moments with one another. Right. And, you know, I'm glad that these were the dumbest criminals in existence because, I mean, if they were smarter, they could have gotten away with a lot more. So, you know, I'm glad they're all four of them are where they need to be. Exactly. And yeah, Wade only got, or not Wade, sorry, Bruce Nixon only got 45 years, but at least he cooperated and he seems remorseful. He still seems like he's an idiot, but he at the very least was crying and very emotional when they went to the site and everything. He was noticeably upset, which I guess, with that being said, maybe there is the potential for rehabilitation. Yeah, well, sounds like he'll be like in his 60s when he gets out, so. Yeah. He'll be roughly around the same age they were yeah. when they when he killed them, so. Yeah, and I think, too, and I don't want this to come off as victim shaming, but it's just be careful when you answer your door. I have a doorbell camera on, and so I don't even walk down my stairs to answer my door unless I know who's there. I will not answer it if it's if I don't know you. Sometimes I will know you and I won't answer it, so <laughs> there's that, too. Like, if it's the president of my HOA, I'm like, uh-uh. You're like, no, thank you. I'm not yeah, here. Exactly. I know you saw me pull in, but I'm not here. I know. <laughs> well, and like, this was 2005, and 2005, I was in like fifth grade. Mm-hmm. Our house was always unlocked. 
Yeah. We were always out and about, like, doing whatever. So, I mean, it was a a different time. Like, even though it doesn't feel like it was that long ago, it was a different time. Yeah. And we all, it's, it totally depends on where you are. I mean, certain places are like that. Certain places you can just leave your door unlocked and things don't typically happen. But there's always the off chance and it just makes me paranoid. And I don't think there's anything wrong with being too cautious. I was just thinking that 2005 was 10 years ago. It definitely wasn't. 2005 mm-hmm. was 18 years ago. Yeah, isn't that gross? Yeah, I'm old. I'm old too. <laughs> I'm way older. Not even. No. Well, thanks for uh, the downer. I feel like all of these are downers, and they should be. We shouldn't feel happy at no. the end of any of these stories, unfortunately. So, um, with that being said, the Patreon is live. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash sentenced. Actually, let me check that because I don't remember if it's sentenced or sentence pod. Shit. While she's doing that, you can follow us on Instagram at sentencedpod. You can follow us on Facebook, sentenced, first name, last name, pod. You can send us a email at sentencedpod at gmail.com. And yes, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash sentencedpod. And if you guys wouldn't mind giving us a five-star rating, that way we can keep doing this. Um, covering these cases and just kind of exposing real life crime that unfortunately happens and chatting about what we can do to be better, what we can do to learn and hopefully what we can do to rehabilitate and move on from it. Yep. Well, we will see you guys in the next episode. Do you want to give a little preview of your next episode or have you not even researched it yet no i have a next episode um but i don't want to give any teasers or anything because it's um currently developing because it was a cold case and now it's being solved oh so it's very exciting i love it was like a 40 year old cold case so that's awesome yeah it's really exciting when that happens it gives me hope for the future and other cold cases you know what i mean we're coming such a long way with technology so it is encouraging science is great too like the fact that dna like evidence wasn't a thing for so long ugh, just i'm so i'm so glad that we can solve cases now i know me too and that's why i'm not super like weird about I don't know. I'm not super paranoid about DNA or anything because it makes me feel comfortable. I'm like, okay, I I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't have anything to hide. So why should I care? (laughs) I know I'm always like shutting. So every time I like leave my hairs behind somewhere, I'm like, well, at least they can trace me if they need to. (laughs) Exactly. Let me just leave you a little trail. All right, guys. Well, again, thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.